from the twisted realm of science and the darkest pits of reason comes chilling tales of godlessness. Bear witness to the unfathomable terror that is The Good Atheist. Welcome to the GoodAtheist.net podcast. My name is Jacob Forte. And I'm Ryan Harkness. And today on the show, uh, we have kind of, it's a kind of a continuation of episode 121 uh, to some degree, because I received quite a few emails about, uh, about that. So we're going to be talking a little bit more, specifically last show, if you recall, we were talking about why uh, religious people are uh, afraid or hate atheists. And I got a couple of really great emails and tweets about that, so we're going we're gonna to be talking about that today. And uh, we're also going to be going through uh, another headline. So it's a full show, but it's mostly a discussion show, as opposed to a news show, though there is one element of news that's going to completely and utterly outrage you, like usual. But uh, before we start the show, Ryan, uh, what's the temperature like out there? It's like minus five million. (laughs) (laughs) I I would just like to, uh, you know, I don't want to make it a, a reoccurring feature where I complain about the weather while you laugh from your tropical paradise. But I do want to point out that the new office is in, the, in, in one of the corners of the house, which scientifically, like, it doesn't get colder than the corner edge of a basement house. And that is where I sit, and that's where my extremities, my feet go right to the wall, and my hands are there too. And, and literally at this point, they are, they are freezing off. Like, the rest of me is fucking cold. But my hands and my feet are just unbelievably... People, if you haven't already become uh, patrons, become patrons now. Because I need to afford uh, uh, some kind of space heater that is at least good enough that it won't set the house on fire. Well, you know what's funny about your little space? What's funny about it is that they used to be my room. <laughs> so I've escaped that hell. Yeah, it ain't that bad if I was wrapped in it. It wasn't that, wouldn't be that bad if I had a quilt wrapped around me at all times. Like... You were never in the room except to sleep. You used it as like your pod. This is this is where I am, pretty much my entire waking day, and it is uh, it is quite uh, it is quite unpleasant. This uh, this winter, even though I never leave my den, this corner of the den is lacking. I need to do something about it. It's like if I had a, I need to put a thermometer here so I can tell you exactly what the temperature is where my hands and feet are because I, I do think that it's probably sitting around like six degrees oh man yeah you, you you need you need to are you afraid to turn up the heat a little bit is it is the hydro sort of getting crazy what's the deal no i mean the 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 heat doesn't really matter there's a heat strip on the other side of the room and it just blow. It doesn't blow heat. It just heat comes out of it that wafts into the hallway that goes upstairs and just dissipates. It doesn't come to me. I'm not part of the air current of this house. I am in the edge. I am in a forgotten zone. You know, technically, you're the furnace. You're the one providing heat. I got two solutions for you, okay? The first one is if we have a good February, then, yes, space heater. The second one is that just get more people, human bodies in a room. You ever notice when you're, you know, if you have a party, even if it's like the coldest day, you got to open up windows and shit like that. Well, the reason is because every human being is like a tiny furnace. So the more people that are in a room, the better. How is this a practical idea? This is the dumbest, most useless idea you've ever told me. Get more people. What am I supposed to do? Do you want me to rent rent the place out, bring in some migrants? That are, their, their job is to sit in here and radiate warmth? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. I mean, all you, can, all you need to do is feed them some kind of very basic food, gruel or oatmeal will do, and uh, they can convert that into heat, and you just have to tell them that they have to shut up. Like, they don't even need to pay rent. They just litter the area with their body warmth. You are literally the master of useless uh, ideas and information. I bow, I bow to you, king of, king of ignoramus. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. You, you, you want to hear something funny? Okay, while you're freezing here and I'm in relative comfort and warmth, there is something that I have noticed. Like, I have been dreaming a lot more. But get this. All of my dreams have been about video games. This is how sad I am. I have gone now, it's, I think it's, a, it's about two months or a month and a half since I've really seriously played video games. And the saddest thing about me is this is what I dream about. I have dreams about playing games. I'm a sad man. I'm a sad man. Mm, that is pretty sad. 
tropical paradise and you dream about video games. What can I say? I'm a gamer and uh, I've gone through withdrawal. I should have totally brought something. <laughs> I told you. I told you. You were on this ridiculous one bag tip where where you were just like, I'll bring nothing with me. And I'm like, At least bring something. Bring something. And yeah. Something. Well, hindsight's twenty twenty. Plus, I didn't want to get any weird looks from the border people because the whole thing is I'm not I wasn't going to put that in my in the luggage they put in the bottom of the plane they just throw that shit around you, 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 fucking a, a video game machine is a very sensitive piece of equipment dude yeah you bring it in your carry on like a laptop yeah well let me tell you something how huge are consoles nowadays they're beasts they would fit I don't think so. I don't not not with a computer which died by the way. I think everybody who uh, listens to the show remembers that. I heard you left it on in the heat and it fried. So good good going there. Now it was in the heat. You know what it was? This is stupid, but uh the place came with a flat screen TV so I hook up a um one of those cables, those DVI cables, but a, a what happens is that everything rusts so quickly that at the edge of the DVI cable was a bit of rust. So it was causing some kind of weird static. And when I plugged it in the back, some sparks came out, and I think that the fucking static fried the whole motherboard. That's that's why it died. God damn. I know. It's fucking just rust. It's just the, it's just the fucking salt water. And you know what? You go out at night... Uh, near the beach when you're walking, because you can walk from my place, you can walk on the beach along, cause, and there's a whole bunch of uh, little areas, little places like, um, uh, you know, bars and stuff like that. Like, the one concept, I'm, I tell you this is so weird, and that you have to come experience this for yourself, is that places don't really have walls, you know? Uh, they're open concept, which just fucks with your brain, right? So you go out, and it's near the beach, and the, the place is essentially just columns with a roof on it, and that's it. But it's right alongside the beach. But when you walk by and it's nighttime, you can see a huge mist of cloud. And that cloud is just basically just salt. <laughs> a salt cloud that goes and invades your home and takes whatever fucking piece of electronic you have and takes ten years off of it. That's what that cloud does. Yet another reason why the people who uh, live on that island don't give a shit about uh, nice things. Because everything gets destroyed by nature. God's an asshole there. <laughs> well, it's the same in any place where you live near the water. I mean, it's the same in Newfoundland. And that place is fucking frozen wasteland. So uh, at least at least here it's warm. It destroys your stuff, but you get to enjoy that in the sun, I guess. All right, before we start the show, I, got, I received a uh, letter from uh, um, uh, a fan named Robert. And this was actually concerning an earlier show that we had about uh, the, uh, you know, the, how the uh, army is evangelizing. So he had his own personal little story, and I, I thought we'd start by reading it and then just talking about it, if you don't mind. <clears throat> All right, I'm, I'm only going to read selected passages because his letter was really long. He also gave us uh, some advice on to how to improve our audio for the show, which I will be implementing some of those things. It, it's more work, but I really want the... Uh, the, the show to sound great, and, and even even before, although it wasn't too bad, our whole Skype thing was kind of like sounding pretty balls, so uh, I'm, I'm going ahead and I'm just trying to pull that. So first of all, I'd like to thank him for his suggestion. So here's his letter. During my 10 years in the U.S. Air Force, I did not encounter any religious overtones. Only occasionally would someone ask if I would like to go with them to a service. I politely said no, as I was an agnostic during my enlistment. This may have happened only three times in 10 years. Granted, this was the 1990s, and my nature to be solitary may have limited my exposures. Others may not be so lucky. Your recent episode asks why believers get outraged when you say that uh, you do not believe. You made some good points, but uh, listening to Sermon Audio Podcasts, which is a religious podcast, the main reason is they do not believe that we do not believe. They believe, so uh, everyone must believe. In addition, several Bible verses allude to a God-shaped hole in everyone. Therefore, believers honestly believe an atheist either worships Satan or worships himself. This feeds their opinion that atheists are intellectually dishonest. Also, they feel everyone needs to feel inclusive and do not know how to deal with people who do not conform. So that's a, that's, that's the, I guess that's two parts. Number one, I guess he was, he was telling us about his uh, religious experience in the army. But to be fair, that's the 1990s. Come on. Yeah, but even then, like, uh, you know, listening back on the radio show, there was some stuff, that, there was some pretty Beckian stuff that you were saying there. We're like, we got to watch out. The fundamentalists are taking over the army. And it's like, 
Sure, there's a lot of religious people in the area. Becky and fuck you. I'm sorry. <laughs> when, when, when you say something like, we have to be concerned about our military uh, becoming too Christian, <laughs> then, then that's Beckian. I don't know what else. No, 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 no. Beckian would be, no, no. Beckian would be if I showed up with some fucking whiteboard and I created some connection by saying the Rothschilds have controlled uh, the evangelical Christians, blah, blah. If I say that we need to be concerned because there's an overly religious tone, and I have evidence in their whole spiritual uh, test that they have to have everyone pass, which is an obvious religious test. This is this is concern. I'm telling that people should be concerned. And and here's the thing. I know, yes, this will sound Beckian on my part. The reason that I am concerned is I remember I read an article in the New York Times that was dealing specifically with how empires that are on the decline tend to react as they decline. And the author, and I thought this was kind of brilliant, was mentioning the fact that, say, by 2021, the United States will have produce, you know, will produce fewer scientists, and this is going to have a huge damaging thing on their economy. And uh, if you look at the parallels between, say, um, the United States and Russia or the Ottoman Empire, so on and so forth, the one thing that's common is that these, uh, these empires tend to try to create military campaigns in their waning years in order to try to, I don't know, uh, it's like a penis contest, right, where you feel as though your libido's going. And we, we, um, we, we have another podcast on mixed martial arts, and we know that what happens to middle-aged men when they start feeling less virile, what do they do? Uh, I, don't, I, I, don't, hmm? I don't know. What do they do? They start working out like crazy and taking steroids and fucking going apeshit. It's like uh, uh, Trent Reznor or fucking Lorenzo Fortita. All these guys, they're like working out like crazy. And the reason is, I think, that because when you feel a loss of virility, you make up for it. And what is the one thing that the United States have has over every other nation right now? What is its one advantage? I don't know. I'm sorry. I don't know what the answers are to these. It's the biggest military in the world. It spends more than every other country combined on its military. And that, that's, that's its advantage. Okay? So when I'm saying that we should be concerned, the reason is because I'm combining those two things. One, a decline, all right, as the United States will no longer be the sole superpower, may not even be a superpower in the next fucking 50 years. But I'm more concerned of the fact that you have here a government that wants clearly to stay in wars i mean it's in two wars now and it's in afghanistan and every single failing empire has died in afghanistan so don't be surprised if there's even hint of a military campaign happening in the future and what are the two, what are the two countries more like most likely that the united states would target uh with this whole sort of like failing libido i'm asking for one since you seem to not be able to answer any of my questions name one country I, I'm sorry, I don't. It, it's like I'm trying to. You, you're asking me who America would go to war with next. I guess Iran. Yes, thank you, Iran. That's exactly what they would do. So I'm just overly concerned when you combine uh, an increased religiosity of a military institution and uh, with sort of like a, a a dwindling empire. I I fear those two things. Because uh, they, 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 they tend, at least in the history of mankind, they tend to lead to some shit. And why do we think that we're somehow exempt from, uh, you know, the, the mistakes of, of, of the past? Do we, do we think we're so fucking wise that we're not going to even repeat it? Come on now. Yeah, fair enough. I, I, was, just, I was just pointing out the fact that, uh, you know, we, we know that we have a lot of people in the military that listen to the show. Uh, I'm glad that one of them wrote to us and told, uh, told us what's what. I, I would basically figure a lot of them see a lot of things that make them uneasy because that kind of stuff sticks out to us. It's kind of like that separation of church and state. Whenever you see that influence in there, it, uh, it, you, you really notice it, and there's definitely a lot of examples of this in the military, and there's definitely some over, overtones of religiosity that, uh, that are constantly coming out in the military. But again, I, I don't think we have to worry so much about a, uh, a religious army, like, uh, like something that's, that is something to really fear, other than just something that maybe we want to look into and, and see what we can do about over the long run. Well, I'll tell you one thing. I mean, again, this is actually going to sound even more Beckian, but uh, this idea that, oh, I think we should be concerned. Uh, these were the same kind of echoes in Germany in the 1930s. Should we be concerned about this Nazi party? Let's look into it. <laughs> Let's look into it. 
So I'm just going to say this, that we tend to, as as liberals and as sort of like very, uh, what's what I'm looking for, very reasonable people, we tend to sort of like say, we should look into this, while very crazy people want to make a definite change in the way that the, the country is run, and they're much more organized. They're far more organized. So I'm just going to put that out there. It's going to put that out there. Um, as for his second point, sure. let's let's move on to the second point, which is going to be the uh, most of the show, I guess, because other people had lots of opinions about why people are um, afraid of non-believers. I really kind of like the thing that he was saying, which was saying that uh, believers don't actually think that we don't believe in something. You know, like that we must we must all have this weird God-shaped hole in us, and that apparently. You and I fill it with Satan or with, uh, I guess, ourselves or something like that. <laughs> if we worshipped ourselves, I think you would notice that probably atheists would be a lot more what's more like, confident if you worshipped yourself. It is very interesting to hear the the, the concept of, of how religious people view atheists in the term... That and, and I don't know where they get this from scripture. I figure, figure this is probably just one of those cockamamie uh, ideas that, that just gets propagated amongst them by ministers and stuff. But the whole idea that there's a God-shaped hole in you. I like this. It's like, it's like people are like donuts and they have this hole. And the only thing that can fill the donut, uh, the, only, the only Timbit that there really is, is God. And if, if, if that's not in there, then something else is in there. That something else is probably Satan or it's sin or it's evil. That, that that's that's quite interesting. It, it's almost like an invasion of the body snatchers type thing, where it's like that person doesn't have his hole plugged right. And you you have to wonder, at least in their eyes. I mean, sure, we 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 obviously as non-believers deny that we have any kind of hole that needs to be filled by God. Though I would probably say that the hole that they're talking about is is uh, you know oftentimes a kind of yearning for something more, right? I mean. There are a few people that would say that they're satisfied with their level of knowledge about the world. At least I'm talking atheists here. Uh, the difference, I think, at least for us, is that we're not really willing to fill whatever hole they're talking about with just essentially nonsense. I mean, let's not, I don't want to beat around the bush and say, oh, let's, have, let's be respectful towards these things because uh, these are powerful spiritual needs. I mean, we're human beings. We seek answers. Answers are not always forthcoming. And even when they are forthcoming, I mean, they're relatively new. I was rereading uh, the book, A Short History of Nearly Everything, and it reminded me of just how recent most of the knowledge that we have had about things like plate tectonics, the age of the Earth, the size of the universe. All of this is relatively soon. I mean, your great or your grandfather, when he was your age, had no way of knowing that the universe was not just the size of this galaxy. The best science at the time would have told him that, yeah, we, we, we don't know anything outside this galaxy, which is kind of a scary thing when you think about what we've learned since then. And even what we've learned, I mean, in the time of your, great, your grandfather and, and his father, the crazy thing about it was everybody, was assu everybody assumed that all of the great, and, uh, all of the great science was done. Right, that you, you, they had figured everything out. There was now just a few little things they needed to plug the holes for. And next thing you know, when they try to plug in those holes, it blows the fucking lid off everything we know. And now people are like, "Oh, the universe is actually uh, a lot more complicated, confusing, unintuitive than we had possibly ever fucking imagined." And it's not very satisfying. That is the truth. I mean, still now, if you try to research, what is the universe made of? How does it fucking come into existence? There are answers to those, but they're so fucking profoundly confusing that uh, they're they're not satisfying. As in, just oh, a loving sky daddy made it. Enough said. Yeah, 50 years ago they thought uh, they thought that we had all the answers, and people still say that now. I mean, I heard someone say, "Who the hell was it?" Oh, I wish I could remember. It was some some prominent person. Uh, yeah, said said that we we basically knew everything that we needed to know, and everything else that science is figuring out is completely useless. Like like basically stuff like uh, string theory and those alternate universe dimensions that that apparently exist, or and and all of that subatomic. Uh, Hicks boson, uh, Higgs boson stuff. They, er, there, there's a bunch of people out there that believe that, you know, science has, has gotten us as far as 
it needs us to go. And now we're just dicking around with the details. And people don't seem to realize that it's useless until all of a sudden it is the most profound and amazing discovery that we've ever found. And that's just how science works. Oh, this is useless. This is useless. This is useless. Holy shit, the atomic bomb. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't take much for, for science to turn everything on its head and say, oh, shit, uh, you know, we, we've got a whole new realm of discovery out there because we just figured out multi-dimensions. Well, it's it's going to be, I mean, if if people think that you can, uh, that, that that a hole should be filled, um, I think that maybe a hole is, is probably, the best way of describing it maybe is our curiosity, right, where we're not necessarily satisfied with the kind of answers that we have. And the sad thing is that there's a lot of people that are satisfied. And, and those are religious people, um, though not all of them, because obviously some religious people are scientists or continue to try to look for answers. We even have religious people who listen to this podcast with that idea in mind, although the problem with them is that they've, they've already made up a conclusion saying, well, God exists, but I'm going to cont- continue looking. And meanwhile, I'm going to change all of this uh, data that we now know about the, the world and try to make it fit into my worldview. I don't know if you read this, but I, I put up an article that said that uh, the Genesis is not scientifically accurate after our resident Christian, Brandon, um, was in uh, some of the comments and was saying, like, oh, the Bible is totally scientifically accurate and everything that we know about the world matches what the Bible says and so on and so forth. So I decided, remember when I was making that, uh, the Good Atheist Annotated Bible? Remember that little project that I had started? Yep. Yeah, so I decided, okay, well, I'm just, it's sitting there, it's not doing anything. So I decided I'm going to include this because it was pretty much me dissecting uh, Genesis and, and showing exactly why it's not scientific. Like, for instance, the sun appearing on the fourth day, uh, you know, after light does, uh, God creating heaven and the earth before, uh, you know, the stars and all these other kinds of things. What was really interesting, though, is that after I put up the article, uh, a resident Christian goes on and he's just he tries to explain away all the things that I had mentioned, like for instance, he says, well, the reason why there's no sun is because the early formation of the solar system was surrounded by dust, and the earth wouldn't, be, wouldn't have been able to see all the light because of the dust. So it makes sense that on the fourth day you would see the sun. And you're like, what? Oh, my goodness. Talk about grasping a stress. I'm quite happy for you. I, 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 feel, I feel proud for you that you now have your, your own Christian apologetics. I was starting to feel, it was starting to get weird. We were at such a size that it was, it was really strange that we hadn't drawn any. And I was thinking maybe it was because, you know, uh, you're, you're such a nasty mofo on the site that maybe you're driving it away. But it's nice to hear that we finally have our own, our very own Christian apologetic uh, reading and, and, and trying to trying to push back in the name of the Lord. Well, it, it's not even so much that we're nasty, actually. I kind of figured out why we didn't have more before. And it's just because everyone that listens to this podcast uh, has probably been introduced to it through uh, studious researching, you know, because we're, we're awful at the whole marketing aspect of uh, of the web i think we can fully admit that right absolutely yeah so we've we've really done a good job at essentially um picking our our audience very 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 carefully so the people that are aware of us are aware of us because they really wanted to find what we're offering and they were good at finding it so i think that as time goes on and and we try to improve our marketing i'm sure we'll have plenty more uh, nutty Christians are going to come on and, and try to try to tell us that, for instance, the Bible is scientifically accurate by making the hugest logical leaps possible. And I mean, I suppose that if you look at a document and if you say, well, it needs to be interpreted rather than taken literally, um, any real thing could be interpreted. I remember this episode of uh, Penn and Teller bullshit where they decided to use to interpret uh, the wheels on the bus song. Uh, and to, to try to say all kinds of things, like, oh, it predicts the, uh, the, the water gate. It, uh, it talks about Rosa Parks and, and those kinds of things. It predicts all these things if you interpret it properly. And that's the hilarious thing about any document that's, that, that, that really is vague. Although I would argue that the Bible and the Genesis account is not very vague. It, it says exactly what it tries to mean. It's just hilarious that nowadays it's people who try to uh, create this vagueness. And it's so easy, too, because I'll, I'll give you an example, right? When uh, in, in, in Genesis, when he talks about creating man and woman from uh, dust, 
you can argue, well, we're all made of cosmic dust, and therefore, this is totally scientifically accurate. And I would actually argue saying, like, well, listen, uh, if by accurate you mean that if you take as liberal an interpretation of the Bible as possible, it may not necessarily conflict with what we know, because, again, it's a liberal interpretation. But if it was scientifically accurate, then all the things that we know about science should have been um, we should have been able to pick that up from the Bible itself. And, of course, we cannot. You know, in, in the passage in the King James Version, when it says that the earth rests on pillars, what exactly are we supposed to sort of say about that? Are we, are we now going to be like, well, pillars are really just uh, the gravitational constant and, uh, and represents uh, the curvature of space-time? I'm like, really? Are you, are, are, is that what you're going to say now to defend it? It's fucking pathetic. It is a book of mythology. It's what it is. And yet everybody wants it to be true because, you know, people like Brandon and, and his ilk, they need it to be true because they go on the basis that the Bible is true and then everything else that you believe has to fit in that sort of like, in that tiny, tiny sphere, what we would call in psychology a schema. My, now, my recommendation is that, look, we're still, like we mentioned before, we still have an incomplete picture of the universe. And I can guarantee you that it has nothing to do with an old book of mythology written by a primitive and ignorant desert tribe of sheep fuckers. Just going to put that out there. Were they sheep fucked? <laughs> well, dude, okay, didn't, you didn't hear that statistic? Remember the, um, remember the book, uh, The um, Sexual Habits of the Human Male by, uh, what was his name? Kinsley. Alfred Kinsey? I know this is Kinsey. Kin no, it's not Kinsley. It's Kinsey. Ah, I'm so close yet so far. I know enough to make myself seem foolish. <laughs> Anyways, uh, he had found that I think about 10% of all uh, people's first sexual experiences are with animals. So if you are a sheep herder, I can guarantee you that a certain percentage, at least 10% of these sheep herders had fucked their sheep. And plus, apparently, the sheep's va sheep vagina is very human-like. Very humanly. You know, I'm going to go out on a limb and just say that uh, maybe this guy who was doing his uh, doing his studies back in the day uh, m might have uh, fucked up a little bit, and his statistics might not be so rock solid. Just going to say that that uh, that statistic I I have questions about. You have questions about? Uh, I think that you would find that human beings will basically fuck anything that moves. <laughs> I think you're just being nice. I'm not going to deny that, that that many human beings, but you, what was the what was the number? Say the number again. Ten percent. Ten percent of humans their first their first sexual experiences with an animal. That's uh, that no. I'm not. I'm not going to buy that. Look, it doesn't necessarily involve penetration. It could be like you put peanut butter on your dick and you fucking call Spot over to your room or something. Okay. That's still that that's still a really hard to swallow ten percent. I don't buy it. Like maybe if you if you included like during the Middle Ages every single girl that ever lost her hymen to riding a horse or something, and only the Mongolians so that you could really skew it upwards, then maybe. But the ten percent sexual it no. Uh, you know what? I'm not going to say it's not true because I don't know. Let me, let me tell you something. You're a sweet man. You're a sweet man with your naive day. <laughs> Where you don't think that human beings fuck things. People fuck doorknobs or whatever fucking holes that can stick their dicks in. This is, th this is human nature. L let us not deny that th we are just naked apes, okay? Just as horny and stupid as the next animal. I was going to say that uh, maybe, maybe he's right because this was back before the electric uh, vacuum cleaner, which would have probably cut the, the percentage in half. <laughs> no, no, the vacuum cleaner, my friend, predates, uh, uh, no, I'm sorry, the, 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 the vacuum cleaner is quite old. So uh, it's over, the Kinsey report was uh, something in the 1950s. So they had, uh, they had vacuum cleaners back then. People were probably fucking those. What percentage of people have had sex with mechanical objects? I don't even want to know. Uh, it's probably quite high. It's definitely higher than 10%. Mm. <laughs> okay, here's a couple more um, Let's continue the discussion on what, why religious people sort of like fear us. Uh, I, I want to read three Twitters in particular that were sent. By the way, if, uh, if you're a fan of the show, uh, please add us on Twitter, the, uh, the Good Atheist, if you do a Twitter search. Because every once in a while, I'll actually ask a question. And, I, and, and if you want to hear it, it's like kind of a, almost like a mini mailbag. So if you want to hear your thoughts on uh, the podcast, then uh, add us on Twitter. Uh, here's, here's a couple of ones that uh, I thought stuck out. So Greg says, um, the reason why they fear us is because they cannot understand not believing, and they fear what they do not understand. It's not a bad one. 
Uh, Chris says, my theory is that atheist and agnostic represent something that shouldn't exist to Christian, a happy life without God. I'm actually kind of partial towards that. I definitely think that that's, uh, I think we mentioned it last show, but to, to reiterate, uh, as far as a lot of Christians are concerned, it is impossible to be happy without your invisible friend who supposedly loves you. This is, uh, this is a strong idea that permeates. Um, Jeannie says, religious people fear atheists because they do not believe in God, equals godlessness, equals not good, equals bad, equals sinful, equals Satan. It's a lot of equals. <laughs> it's a couple extra steps. It's a couple steps, but, I mean, I, I, I always found it kind of, I, I really wonder what the statistics are for Christians who really believe in, uh, in Satan as a force for non-belief. Because it, it, it can't be all of them. I definitely have met some Christians who are like, oh, yeah, I don't mind if you don't believe or whatever. And these people exist. But what percentage of these people, as soon as you tell them, yeah, I don't believe or you believe in something different, do they think that that is directly an influence of Satan? What, what, what would you say is a safe number? I don't know. It, uh, I don't know if Satan so much as hell plays such a, a, a big role in it. I don't know how big of a deal Satan is as far as it, 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 even the evangelicals' view. I know, it's, I know Satan's the big kibosh in, uh, in Africa and everything like that. But when you're talking about, you know, you were just mentioning uh, there are religious people who say, oh, I don't really care what you believe. It, it, you, you start to have a galvanization when you start when when it, when these people become parents and they have kids and they have to start worrying about godless heathens converting their kids and therefore if you actually really believe that you know salvation only comes through Christ, you start realizing that these people are the kind of people who leave your lead your kids astray and land them in hell. So all of a sudden you have to start looking on non-religious people and their non-religious ways as being a threat to not only uh, your lifestyle and the health of the church, but also the souls of your children and your friends and your family. Well, I've read quite a few uh, very uncomfortable uh, Christian tweets and messages and stuff like that, because that's the beauty of Twitter now, is that you can just pick up on people's thoughts uh, you know, from just doing hashtags. Where people are like, oh, my daughter is, is, I feel my daughter is losing her faith. I would rather see her dead than not believe in God and all these other kinds of things. So for some fucking people, it is serious, man. That's, I think that's what always kind of catches some of us uh, non-believers off guard. It's just how serious some people really take it, where they would rather their child be dead than, uh, than not believe, which is, uh, which is scary. You don't want to play a game of chicken with an extremely religious person because they're going to take it too far, man. It's like you can't win that game. If you really drill down into the logical conclusions of all their ideas, uh, it's a bad news. <laughs> they're very hardcore. They're like strap a bomb uh, to yourself level of hardcore. You just don't know. You and I just don't know. I mean, we're, we're, as, we're hardcore in the atheist scene, and that's pathetic, really, when you think about it. This is as hardcore as it gets. <laughs> We're the fundamentalists, buddy. <laughs> um, okay, here's a, here's a good email that uh, that we got also. This was actually uh, uh, also in reference to uh, 121. So a fan wrote in I said and said, I have a criticism of the way you handled the question in episode 121 about the prof who said that if one believes in the Big Bang, one is not an atheist. This is a semantic point, but semantic, uh, sema uh, semantics can be important. You talked about believing in the Big Bang Theory and other scientific ideas as opposed to believing in religious ideas. I submit that you and I do not believe in the Big Bang Theory. Rather, we understand it to be the best explanation of the universe's origin. As you so rightly point out, if our, if our other scientific evidence came along supporting a different theory, we would change our minds. We wouldn't change our beliefs. We would change our understanding. Um, so I, I, I decided to go online and, and look at some definitions of belief because, um, th and this is something I want to discuss after. So let me let me say that there are three, the three best definitions I found on belief was one, a state or habit of mind in which trust or confidence is placed in some person or thing. Two, something believed, especially a tenant or body of tenants held by a group. Three, conviction of the truth of some statement or the reality of some being or phenomenon, especially when based on examination of evidence. And uh, I, I want to focus on the third one because although I kind of agree that if, effectively the word belief is often used against us, my question, and the, this is the part of the discussion that I want to have, is 
should we change the language of the way that we describe what we quote-unquote understand in order to uh, placate religious people and avoid this kind of uh, problem with nomenclature? Uh, well, I think uh, it wasn't Richard Dawkins already saying that he wanted to change theory to, like, theorem or something like that, basically because of the way that it's being hijacked by religious fundamentalists. Yeah, he wanted he wanted theorem. And uh, and I think I, um, on some of the podcasts we agreed with him that it was time to change. But I've, I've been, here's the thing that's been kind of bugging me, and I've, maybe I've changed my opinion about it, is I feel like I don't really want to change the way that I talk uh, just to avoid the mild amount of confusion that's actually not caused by us. You know, this, this, my problem here is that let's say a religious person says, oh, you have a belief. Well, I have a belief, too. And the, the, the problem with the word belief is, is, sure, it is kind of vague. But at the same time, if, if I was to describe, well, do I believe in the Big Bang Theory, to some degree I have to put trust in the theories and the ideas that have been put forward, um, that it is a statement of a phenomenon based on examination of evidence, that this is how I would define belief. So the problem is if I say I have an understanding, it's still going to go back and a person will just say, oh, well, you're avoiding the issue. This is a belief. I also have a belief in a magical sky being. And since both of us have belief, that means that science is religion. Look, if you're talking to a person who is trying to use that in an argument, I don't care what language you're going to use. You're fucking wasting your time. This is my opinion. Maybe in that sort of like difference where you're saying, well, I would really like to avoid misunderstanding. Misunderstanding is the tool that religious people use to try to create confusion about certain issues. It's unavoidable. It doesn't matter what fucking language you use. A person is going to try to manipulate that language in order to poke holes at what you have to say because that's all they're interested in. They're not interested in the truth assertions of what you're saying. They're interested only in trying to fucking get you in a trap and get you to admit, oh, yes, I believe in something, and although I may not have full evidence of that belief, I still hold it. The problem is that Religious people don't really have a belief because, again, according to that third convention, it, it con, con, uh, that third uh, definition, it's not based on examination, uh, examination of evidence. It's really based on a conclusion that they have already come up with and decided that it was true. This is the reason why even when you talk to someone about religion, eventually there's one fucking word that you will always come down to. And that's the word faith, because that's the only thing that they can use to ever defend themselves against their ludicrous ideas. So my problem is I don't want to change the way that I talk for a bunch of fucking close-minded morons that don't want to have a real conversation with me. Is that fair? It's fair enough. I mean, one thing that we have to get to, and I feel like we've gotten there pretty much on the theory one, because I think for... A couple of years, it was actually like a legitimate argument. Well, not legitimate, but it was actually used by people out in, quote, unquote, the field. Uh, you know, they'd say, oh, well, you know, theory is uh, like a theory doesn't doesn't mean anything. Nowadays, if, if someone pulls that old canard out, they look like instant retards. That's true. And yeah. belief, belief hasn't gotten there because it doesn't get used all, all that much. I think it might be one of those new ones that's creeping in there that we're going to have to turn around. We just have to figure out there has to be a watershed oh snap moment. Or we have to figure out just that perfect slam where you can come back and be like, don't you fucking talk to me about belief. You don't want to go there. <laughs> and once that happens, we can just continue to move on. And, yeah, the the, the core people that may still use it, they'll, they'll look like idiots. They'll still, they'll still use it regardless, but, uh, you know, they'll look stupid doing it. I think that maybe uh, uh, the, the best way to go about it is um, is to just ask a person what is their unstated assumptions. I, I've had this conversation before about how to debate agnostics um, because the one thing about what you believe in is that you have to – I think it's important to state what your assumptions are. So if we say I believe in the Big Bang and what are my assumptions based on that, well, I say, okay, here are a few assumptions that I have. Number one, that the best science that we have tells us that uh, because of the law of gravity, or gravity as we understand it, uh, and the way that the universe is expanding, particularly galaxies that are further away are expanding faster. That's called Hubble's Law. Uh, once you really start to understand just how far away they are and the rate of expansion, that you have to admit to yourself that at some point they must have all been uh, at, at, at the same point, which what we call a singularity. Okay. 
these are assumptions that I make based on the best evidence that we have in terms of, you know, uh, the consistency of our scientific understanding. Now, if a person believes in God, what is their unstated assumption? Well, often their unstated assumption will be uh, there is a creator of the universe that it does not obey the laws of physics and exists outside of that universe. Uh, the Bible is his word. Uh, really, if you start breaking down all the assumptions they, they, that they make, uh, pretty soon what you have is just the weakest weakest form of quote-unquote evidence that's just easy for you to pick apart and di dissect. So you just need to know what parts a person is trying to utilize in, in, in their schema, in their worldview. And after that, um, it's no longer a conversation about belief. Now it's a, question, it's a conversation about assumptions. And I guarantee you that as a non-believer, you make fewer assumptions than religious people do. And this is the weird thing. This is the part of trying to defend ourselves, which I find obnoxious, is that we have to defend fewer assumptions and we don't have and, and, and we don't make any wild claims. We just make the claim of saying there's no real evidence for God. The burden of proof is on you. And yet somehow we always manage to, to find ourselves in a situation where we're having to disprove the ridiculousness of other people. Their fucking unstated assumptions, which have no basis in fucking reality and yet which they believe fervently. And guess what? By the end of it. Again, there is one word that they're going to rely on that you will find yourself really unable to discuss because the word itself is not open for debate, and that's the word faith. So they will always go back to that. If you want to have a conversation with someone, you need to be able to answer that question. How do you deal with someone who just uses the word faith? I think that's another topic for another show, and, and maybe one of those things where we ask lots of people, how do you, and, and send me emails if you think that you have the right answer to this question, how do you respond when someone says that it's their faith and that that's just all there is to it, that there's no discussion point beyond that point? So I think that this, is, this is probably a discussion for the next show. Send, uh, send me emails, jakeatthegoodatheist.net, if you think you have the answer. So hopefully we'll have a, a good conversation about that. You want to move on to uh, our only piece of news for the show, or is there anything else you want to add? No, no, sounds good. Let's do it. Okay. Uh, you sent me this, and uh, maybe I'm, uh, I'm going to say that I wasn't surprised by it, but, you know, equally shocked. There was a study that was done in Chicago uh, to try to find out. It's basically by a, a group of people that are, are, are campaigning to fight the Vatican and their systematic abuse, uh, a group called Voice of the Faithful and another one called Survival Network of those abused by priests, not exactly the uh, slickest name, but anyways, they spent five years uh, essentially doing a, uh, a study to try to find out how many of the parishes, how many Roman Catholic parishes had uh, pedophile priests in it. And what they found was that over half, over half of the archdiocese, uh, of, that's, that's 253 of the 400 parishes, at one time had at least one pedophile priest working for them. So <laughs> if you're wondering how widespread the problem is, consider the fact that in a, just in a one city, Chicago, half of them at one time had at least, and I mean that, at least one. It was not unusual for many of these uh, places, 30 of them in fact, had at least two or more alleged pedophile uh, priests assigned to them at any time. That's a fucking crazy number. Yeah, it really... Every single time, I mean, you, you hear about the scope of this problem, and it never really sinks in. You keep on thinking that, uh, you know, I, I, I know personally for me, you hear a new story and you think, oh, that's the old story. That's, that's those old numbers. They're bringing up the old numbers about what happened in that one area. Nope, these are, it, it keeps on, new numbers keep on coming out. Uh, more and more child abuse, child rape keeps on coming out, and... Uh, I think we're all numb to it at this point, but uh, hopefully, you know, 253 out of 400 parishes, uh, that, that, that seems like a hard one to ignore. The, the one thing, I guess, I mean, you, you refer to us being numb, and I have to wonder, in, say, 20 or 40 years, when all of the news of what's happening in Africa comes out, because this essentially Africa and, and some parts of Latin America are the places where these kinds of reports could never exist uh, but they eventually, oh, at least to say hopefully, uh, that kind of information will come out because a lot of the pedophile priests are now just being kind of shuffled around and sent over to Africa, which is the Wild West, which is the, the, the new sexual tourism for fucking pedophile priests. Just go to Africa, you know. They don't have any control there. It's, uh, it's growing. 
and uh, and 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 plenty of fresh meat. It, it, I think we have this idea that it's just oh pedophilia has now stopped and we're just getting these old reports. I'm like these are not old reports. What exactly has the Catholic Church done apart from say uh, admit that now it's asking uh, priests to come forward with uh, with reports of abuse in places where there isn't a corrupt police force um, and uh, or at least not too corrupt. The problem here that you have, obviously, is the fact that uh, this is not a report from all over the world. This is just in North America, or at least in Europe as well, where we have freedom of press, where the church doesn't have a sick amount of control like they used to in those places. And what a surprise that as soon as uh, you know secular governments are able to kind of ask questions, that we would find that not only have they harbored pedophiles, but also they've, you know, they've, they've, They've uh, interfered with police investigations. They've put pressure on, uh, on police not to prosecute and put pressure on the families in particular because the families are themselves probably still devout. I don't even understand why. I mean, if a fucking priest rapes your kid, what does it take for you to stop fucking believing in these jackasses, honestly? At, at the very least, switch denominations, for God's sakes. But I guess, once again, uh, you, you can't really expect one who, who really believes in the power of Nike to, you know, go to Reebok. <laughs> right, they have their old habits in, and uh, and they identify strongly. It's part of their culture, and so on and so forth. Yeah. yeah. I think the big problem, and this actually... This has to do with why religious people fear um, uh, fear non-belief is, is a lot of times people are afraid that if they stop believing in God or even in their religion that they'll lose something that is inherent about them. And, and that's probably the scariest thing. Remember when I have – I have this very sick little game that I play with people. It's, it's kind of like a, 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 a little test. And I say, well, if you had two options, let's say you were convicted of murder – and you were definitely guilty. You were convicted of murder and you had two options. The first option was to be executed in sort of a, a very non, uh, you know, painful kind of way. Or the other option was to have your entire memory wiped clean. That everything that you had knew about yourself, your personality, all of that would go away. What would you choose? And the crazy thing about this very, I guess you could call it a bit sick test, is that I found that more people chose death then chose this, uh, the, 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 the option of getting their personalities erased. So I think it's just based on this idea that we, the, that we have that uh, what our personalities are is, is essentially the makeup, and most would rather see the complete destruction of their entire body rather than see that makeup change. So I can understand, based on just my sick little test, why people would be afraid of losing their religion because they're, they're like, well, if I lose my religion, I'll lose my personality, I'll lose all these aspects of myself, and then I won't be me, and I don't want to not be me. And uh, my only response to that is, number one, that's not true because lots of people and, and people that listen to the show and, and, and lots of atheists will tell you that nothing really fundamentally changed about them except for maybe they stopped being so fucking concerned about trying to reconcile their nonsense with objective reality. So at least to one degree, they felt of a kind of a, a certain amount of, uh, what's I'm looking for, uh, relief. Relief in no longer having to fight that fucking losing battle. But really fundamentally, I mean, there's a, there's a book called The uh, Little Book of Atheist Spirituality, and it said that the, the, the main author argued, said, I'm a, uh, a Catholic atheist, like the same way that you have a... Uh, you know, uh, non uh, like a, like Jews that are sort of you know themselves secular Jew, right? They're, he's a secular Christian, so he may keep some of the traditions and that kind of stuff, but he doesn't keep any of the beliefs. So this is this is one thing that I offer to anybody who's religious, who's afraid to let go of their fucking religion, is that you you don't even have to lose any of the traditions or any of the aspects that you like. You just have to admit that the whole God thing is ridiculous. That's it. That's, it's not really that hard. Is that kind of like being a, a a fan of Avatar but not believing that it exists? It's like you could still enjoy it. You could still watch it. You could still enjoy the nonsense and, and love the idea of Pandora and a world in balance but uh, still recognize the fact that it's bullshit. I think so. I mean, to some degree, I I mean, even even once in a while when you um, when you read – like I loved Greek books of mythology – uh, you know, I love the stories, I love the parables, because there's human stories, right? Even the gods are humans, uh, albeit sort of, I guess, caricatures of, of humanity. But I still find it, it very interesting, and, and the stories themselves are compelling. I mean, they're, 
as non-believers, we don't exactly have this kind of rich mythology to draw from. But mythology for me is just like Aesop's fables. You don't believe that there was a, you know, a, 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 a goose that could lay golden eggs. It's just a fucking story to try to teach you a lesson. And you, there's no reason to, to think that you need to take a literal approach to the story to learn what the fuck it's about. It just seems, strikes me as completely and utterly... Uh, you know, ridiculous the fact that some people think that. But again, they've been drained. They, they, they're not drained, but they've been drilled with this idea that if they lose that concept of, of God, that everything that holds their life together will crumble. I can guarantee you not, uh, not of the, none of this will happen. So all of you, by the, and this is just a short message to all of you Catholics, please, can you not see from the fucking data that it's, not, it's never going to improve? Forget about this corrupt religion. Stop giving the money. Because that money is going to a very evil institution. There's no fucking if, ands, or but about it. They are cursed. They are corrupt. Nothing will change that. Abandon this poison religion. You'll feel better. You will feel better. You don't need to abandon, say, the social aspect of what you like. You don't need to even abandon some of the rituals if you want to. You can still go to Mass if you think that it's a beautiful ceremony or whatever. You just don't need to buy into the whole bullshit to enjoy it. Maybe that's maybe that's my little message. Although, how many fucking Catholics are listening? Really? Probably not many. No, not many. Okay, let's move on. Let's let's talk about the last headline. And uh, this is uh, this is for for people who've had this argument uh, once in a while. I'm sure it's appeared where people will use that whole fine tune. The universe is fine tuned for life argument. Are you familiar with it? I've never heard it myself, but I can see how. Uh well, isn't isn't the argument that the universe is fine tuned? It's like God made the universe for life. What's what's the argument? The argument is basically okay. If you take all the known laws of physics, if you kind of messed around with it a little bit, uh, say you changed gravity and you made it slightly stronger uh, or slightly weaker, that uh, the universe would be unable to uh, harbor life, and that therefore the universe must somehow be fine tuned. So that there can be life, and for some, I have heard this one. I've seen on Facebook there was some stupid messages I read about how if the Earth was like two inches in a different place, the sun would scorch it, or we would be like frozen. Which which number one isn't true. Uh, we gotta. Well, it's not. It's not true because the Earth is in in, in an ellipse. So actually, technically, right now, I think we're something like ten or fifteen million kilometers closer to Earth than we are uh, during uh, the month of July. So the Goldilocks zone, uh, the habitable zone of a, of a planet, is actually a lot bigger than what some people make it out to be, and it uh, and it has changed. We have we have moved since that time. So uh, yeah, that that whole really like some people will stretch it far beyond <laughs> fucking the, the 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 relative truth of that statement. But uh, I believe it's called the ontological argument. Um, or is it the anthropic principle? It's one of the two. I, I kind of forget. But regardless, there's actually in the news, and this is one of the headlines, is that there's a scientist who's arguing that actually the universe is not fine-tuned for life. What he says is that essentially the the, the cosmological constant, and uh, what that is is it's, it's basically um, when you're trying to measure the effect of gravity, um, Einstein came up with something called the cosmological constant to kind of explain why the universe hasn't just collapsed on itself. Um, the reason that the cosmological constant is, is it's actually kind of a very, what's I'm looking for, controversial idea because it's just a mathematical way of trying to explain some of the, um, some of the problems that we have when we're trying to discuss, well, how old is the age of the universe and, and how does gravity work and so on and so forth. But he says that because of the way that gravity is, if it was actually maximized for life to exist, it would have a positive value rather than a negative value. So the, the problem that we have now is that the universe is expanding. As it, from, from, from the best estimates that we have, it's expanding until essentially it will, uh, the, the interaction between molecules will no longer happen and there will be no more life. Uh, even when you think about it, uh, you know what a nebula is, right? Do you, do you know what that is? Yeah, it's a, a pretty word. Dar. Okay, a nebula is a gas cloud that was formed from a previous explosion of a star. So a nebula consists of dust and, and more complicated particles. In fact, our solar system at one point was a nebula. 
And uh, eventually what happened is that gravitational forces allowed some of those molecules to start colliding together and, and, and gaining in mass. And that gaining mass uh, eventually formed a spiral or a disk that uh, created the, the solar system as we have now. But according to Neil deGrasse Tyson, about 3% of all nebulas eventually turn into uh, solar systems. So we don't have a galaxy that's very, very friendly towards life. If, 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 gr if the cosmological constant was just was maximized, then we would see that number as being a lot higher than just 3%. So his argument, uh, and I think that it's kind of amusing, and maybe you can use it, is just saying, well, it's not really fine-tuned for life. It allows life to exist. But because of the way that the, because of the property of, of the universe as it exists now, eventually life will be impossible. And it's just going to be a cold-ass place where there are no more, uh, you know, chemical or atomic reactions. And it's going to be balls. So you can think that the universe is fine-tuned for life, but ultimately it's going to suck later on. That's the uh, always, uh, us atheists, always, always so positive. We've got such magical theories that make everything seem so good in the long run. Well, to be fair, I mean, by the time that the universe experiences cold death, I think the best estimate that we have now is about 100 trillion years before uh, it essentially all particles are so far away from each other they can no longer interact. So you've got some time. You've got some time. <laughs> <laughs> I think the saddest thing, though, is we live in a very, very unique time in the age of the universe. Like, for instance, in a couple uh, billion years, the background radiation that's that's the basically the leftover from the big bang like if you turn on your television and you see the static roughly one percent of that static is uh noise from the background radiation it's microwave radiation from essentially that initial big bang um, in a few billion years that will no longer be detectable and what that means is if if an if a civilization an advanced civilization comes to life in say you know a couple billion years um, they, using the best science that they have, they won't really be able to determine um, in, in an accurate way what the actual age of the universe is. So science will actually get worse and less accurate as time goes on. That's kind of sad, isn't it? I'm sure there'll be other ways to figure it out. I like your enthusiasm. <laughs> I appreciate your enthusiasm. If they find traces of us, I'm sure they can find traces of, uh, of the age of the universe. They'll figure it out. Wait, wait, traces of us, you mean as a civilization? Yeah, exactly. I got bad news for you, man. We have sent one object out um, in the solar system that might escape the death of our sun. Uh, but even that, in, in, since it was launched in the 1970s, this is the Voyager 2 spacecraft, which is roughly the size of a small bus. Okay, that is probably the fastest man-made object that we've ever sent there. I think it travels at about 33,000 miles an hour or something like that, which is like 60,000 kilometers an hour. Um, so far, since the 1970s, it was launched out there. It has traveled the equivalent of one light day, and not even that. It's, it, it, if you send a signal using the speed of light, it takes 18 hours for it to reach it. That's the furthest object that we've ever sent. But it's not. It, it will take another, I think, 20,000 years before it actually reaches the edge of the solar system. Just the solar system, and it's tiny. How is any advanced civilization supposed to find this bus-sized fucking spacecraft? To learn anything about us. I don't think that's going to happen, bro. Star Trek-style uh, sensors. Sensor sweep. <laughs> I never understood how the sensors in Star Trek work. Why are they able to detect an object that's moving at warp speed um, really far away from them? How the fuck are they getting that information there? Like, how is it traveling there? I think you need to write an angry letter to Brandon Braga. Yeah, well, I think I'd, I'd write him an angry letter by saying, Why is there no more fucking Star Trek? Well, there's still the reboot. The reboot's pretty good. What are you talking about, Enterprise? Or the movie, like, Star Trek? Yeah, the movie reboot. They needed to reboot that bitch because, uh, yeah, they, it was getting stupid. Like, they they basically written themselves into a corner. So what do you do then? You fucking reboot, reboot. Yeah, but there's there are no shows. There's no shows going on. We don't want movies. The movies are the least satisfying thing about Star Trek. Shows are what we want. I don't know. Uh, they haven't managed to pull a good show out of their ass since, like, what, 1990? W w when did The Next Generation end? So it's like, I, I don't care anymore. They, they've they lost that magic. It's like, they, they, had that, they had that one good show, that one good series, and since then it's been nothing but uh, disappointment. Yeah, but, I mean, y you have to hope that one day, one, somebody that's enterprising and, uh, and smart can reboot the series. I mean, who doesn't want 
a space uh, show. We love space. Anyways, okay, so before we, le- we, we, we depart, I'd like to remind everybody that if you love the show and you want to hear more, we have a bonus uh, show that's uh, available if you pay $20 a year to become a patron. You can go to the site and you can uh, register to become a patron and get the shows right away, and you'll get uh, the backlog of shows and so on and so forth. We're working currently, I know that a few people have complained about how crappy your intro is. We're working on a new intro, which will hopefully be done, when, when's that going to be done there, Ryan? I have no idea. <laughs> if you want a new intro, keep bugging Ryan. Keep bugging him. He's the. He's the how about, uh, how about bu- buy Ryan a space heater and maybe he'll fucking make the new theme for you? Maybe he'll be able to use his fingers on a keyboard to tap out a little tune for you if they aren't frozen. Wow. That, you know what that is? That's blackmail. I don't know if people respond well to blackmail there. I will see. <laughs> so, yeah, go to the site and become a patron. It helps us do what we do or keeps Ryan from freezing to death. And uh, for all of those that are already a member, then we appreciate your patronage. And uh, hopefully you'll keep being a patron with us for a long time. And uh, remember, if you guys want to, con- if you uh, want us to d- continue the discussion, like I said before, uh, and have a conversation about what is the best way to debate faith, then send me an email, jake at thegoodatheist.net, and we'll have that conversation if you guys want to. If not, then we'll obviously have lots of other subjects to talk about because, really, it never ends, does it? There's always something to talk about in the world of atheism. So I have to imagine that we'll, uh, we'll probably be doing this for a while. Indeed. All right. Well, with that, my name is Jacob Fortan. And I'm Ryan Harkness. Have a good Atheist Day, everybody.